Welcome to Hypergen Sales Leaders Podcast, the show that equips you with the cutting edge strategies, wisdom, and inspiration to become a top-notch sales leader in today's ever-evolving business landscape. I'm your host, John Mansour, and each episode will bring you in-depth conversations with sales trailblazers, industry experts, and thought leaders who have mastered the art of leadership and revenue generation. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting your journey, join us as we unlock the secrets to sales success. Let's dive in. Welcome back to Hypergen Sales Leaders Podcast. I'm your host, John Mansour, and today we're going to be chatting with Arash Najad, who's the Chief Revenue Officer of Novark Technologies, Inc., and he's calling in from Vancouver, British Columbia today. Arash, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, it's great to have you on. I figure we can start by Novark Technologies. Really interesting stuff as far as robotic engineering is concerned. I would be curious... Uh, just to hear a quick summary of how you found your role there and, and a little bit more about what you guys do. Absolutely. So Nowhere Technologies' purpose is to build a better world through automation. And today we achieve that with utilizing robotic AI-based machine vision, mostly around spool welding. And so that is welding pipes together, fabrication facilities in North America, Australia, and, and as well as Western Europe. And I have found my way at Novark. I have spent 20 years at SAP 500. Majority, majority of that was spent at General Electric and relocating around the globe. And after that, I joined Rockwell Automation, spent three years with them. And my expertise are based around outcome-based selling and growing companies. And so after Rockwell, I joined a startup which ended up in a similar role, doing the same thing, being in charge of revenue and taking an exit. And they were an AI-based vision company specializing in mining. And once that exit went through, got introduced to Novark, and here I am. Excellent. Yeah, the million-dollar question we always ask is, why sales specifically? I know a lot of us pursue it from the get-go, or some of us maybe serendipitously kind of land in a spot that we figure out works really well. But I guess, what was the case for you going down a sales career path in particular? It's an interesting question because I studied electrical engineering. I have a master's degree in computer and electrical engineering, and I was always fond of science. And, and I myself, I'm an introvert, so I don't fit the uh, profile of what people believe what a salesperson is. But I spent my high school years actually in retail selling components at Radio Shack for four years. And I, I think that's where it started for me, where I enjoyed the rush. It is really a nightmare to be in sales for an engineer. Every scope changes on a daily basis. Timelines change on a daily basis. And, and you're dealing with people's and emotions, which tangle a lot of randomness to the process. Again, all of which engineers hate. And so going through the engineering, I spent quite a few years in the service organization, growing up in projects and learning how teams work. And I was always fond of what it would take to get a sale done. I was put through you know, extensive training to do P&L management and dealing with customers. And I myself enjoy it very much because the, the challenges are, are huge. The challenges are great when, it, when you're talking to customers and clients and being able to me, the customer's demand and solving their problem is invigorating. I enjoy putting a smile on people's faces and it allows me to do that in my current role in sales. Awesome. In a similar vein, with that said, 
as a sales leader yourself, I was wondering if you could share with our listeners just some of the strategies uh, that you found to be most effective just for generating business in general, but I guess specific to your industry as well. Like what's the most effective methods of generating new business, leads, closing deals? What have you found as far as best, best practices go? Without getting to specifics, because each company, each vertical, each industry or each geography is unique in their own way. To me, ultimately, uh, a sales organization's function should be surrounded around what the problem is at the customer facility or within the customer base and trying to find a solution for it. And I'm a big believer in outcome-based sales. I'm a big believer of building outside-in view, meaning you start with a customer and build internally what it takes to get it done. And ultimately you can apply that to B2C or B2B in general terms. And the more we're able to provide solutions to customers, the easier the sales process and the happier the customers. I see, unfortunately, too many of sales organizations focusing on features of their products and brochure type approaches to their customers. So they throw a lot of jargon, a lot of products that the customer doesn't have enough time to consume and build solutions on their own. And it's not the 70s or 80s when a lot of, at least on the heavy industry side, a lot of customers had tens, hundreds of engineers to put solutions together. The world has changed. Everyone's thin and lean, meaning unless you're solving a problem, they don't have the time to talk to you. Right, right. And I guess specifically in the robotics engineering uh, industry as well, we'll get to it a little bit later on, but as far as staying up to date on relevant industry trends and changes, and also just incorporating sort of real-time data you, you get back as well, I guess taking those things into account, how do you incorporate staying up to date on industry changes and implementing that in real time into your sales strategy? For us here, there's multiple methods. Obviously we have, I have technical staff and the team that are attending conferences and seminars. So there's one avenue of understanding what's happening out there, attending shows and, and understanding also from the landscape of the trade shows where the world is headed. And of, of course, listening to customers. So I would say that's probably the most important thing. And it's not about understanding or uh, doing everything they ask, right? It's about understanding the underlying problems and finding a solution. Again, I'm, I'm repeating myself there. Customers think they have a solution to a problem, but because they don't know the technology, that solution may or may not work. And so again, it's not listening to them, it's about understanding the underlying issues, getting insight. What actually matters? What keeps them up at night? That is truly the most important factor in deciding where to go. I, and as you were saying that, I was thinking about just what my day-to-day from your perspective, just overseeing uh, revenue in general, what are some of the key, say, KPIs, relevant indicators you track, maybe on a daily, weekly basis, or or that you talk with your team, say, at the end of each week or month, or what does that look like? It's going to be typical across not just my team, probably any team. So being a chief revenue officer, revenue is brought up there. A lot of flagging indicators are typically showing up in the PL, so financially driven. I look for leading indicators, and it's going to be dependent on the teams, it's going to be dependent on the sales process and even geography too. But things such as how many leads are being generated and how, 
on the marketing fronts and how those leads are going through the journey, how fast they're moving along the journey. What are some of the roadblockers that extend the journey of a lead for it to become a sale? And of course, understanding why we lose, right? And you know, if a lead comes in, goes through its journey and it becomes a loss at the end, it's important to understand that. Ultimately, I'm very data-driven. I'm a big believer that if you don't have a way to measure something, you cannot manage it. And I've seen too many organizations where they're trying to manage something that's got absolutely no measurement to it, that is bound to fail. And so the KPIs um, that I use are indicative and leading of the future outcome revenue. Yeah, and um, curious too, as far as any strategies, and, and you know, there might be not anything groundbreaking here, but as far as that relationship between sales and marketing, are there any kind of best practices you implement day to day that you found help the two segments gel together more naturally, whether it's real-time feedback coming from sales and just that it's just on the fly adaptation with marketing strategies, perhaps? Well, it's a great question. And Every company has got a different twist on to what marketing is. My own belief is, and this comes back to Beth Comstock running as a CMO for GE, a product manager, and product management was actually part of the marketing function, although they owned the P&L and reported to the CEO of the segment, they were part of the marketing team. So to me, a successful marketing team is the one that actually leads the company forward. They're the ones at the front end understanding what the customer requirements are. They got the research, they got the data, and they're able to tell how the product teams and engineering needs to move forward, what the roadmap should look like. They will design the right brochure, right strategy, right websites, right messaging, right value prop for the sales team to go out and hunt and close a deal. And that to me is, is the right way to do marketing. And then sales are basically on the back end, meaning they're executing what the plan is. They're executing all those marketing parameters set. They're utilizing the information from the marketing team. And, and so the collaboration between the two of them is absolutely key. How you get them to work together, that is truly unique and different every time. I always tell the sales team and the marketing team, every single one of you needs to be a marketer and a salesperson at the same time. Because unless you are, you don't understand what each other, what the other team is going through, right? And so I ask the marketing team to go along the journey and see how the deals are closed. I ask the sales team to come along and understand what the marketing teams are doing. I involve them in the research. And, and so that collaboration and the closeness of, uh, of the two teams together is absolutely necessary to be successful. Yeah, those are excellent points there. And when it comes to the day-to-day work-life balance, not just for yourself, but also your team, I was wondering if you could share some insights into how you structure that and maybe any unique things, perhaps Novark Technologies maybe implements from a workflow perspective. What does that look like? Work-life balance, that's definitely a topic of, of the year, if not the century after what we went through with COVID. You know, there, I see a lot of debate around work from home versus coming into the office. Mandatory requirements are coming to play at large S&P 500 companies. Here at Norwork, we're just over 100 people in total, and we're each team is taking a unique approach. And when it comes to sales, especially, they're always remote. The amount of time they spend at the office is wasted. So we try to make sure they're spending as little time behind their computers, 
unless it's got something to do with the customer and away from meetings and office kind of meetings, uh, being in the office um, and, and actually measure that to ensure that they're spending majority of their time with clients. On the marketing team, I would say they're very much centralized here in Vancouver and they come to the office to be together. Um, Work-life balance is absolutely critical. And what I try to do is I tell the team members, when you take time off and you need to disconnect, you need to disconnect. Nothing in life life is more important than themselves, their health and their family, and work is after. If we're not taking care of our staff, ensuring they're healthy, they're being loved at home, and, and somebody loves them back, and we can't possibly expect them to produce and perform. And so work-life balance has different meanings to each individual. And, and to me, as someone who leads this organization, I'm 100% against managing teams, right? To me, it's about leadership and inspiring them to be great, to do great things, and, and helping them feel fulfilled doing what they do. And so I leave it up to them. They're professionals. We have very few junior staff on the team. They're all professionals. I expect them to deliver what they are supposed to deliver. And it's up to them how they manage their day-to-day activities. Yeah. I was going to ask about, I guess, your own work-life balance. What what does that look like? Are you a workaholic or uh, what is that? Uh, what's the day-to-day there? Look, that applies to me as well. Taking care of my health is important. A healthy mind requires a healthy body. I exercise extensively as much as I can afford in time. I have two children and I pay a lot of attention to them. And at the end of the day, those are the things that matter to me the most. And at work, I do disconnect myself over the weekends. I didn't do that before, but I learned through, unfortunately, experiences that as the body ages, and I'm not 20 years you know, old anymore. You can't do that and expect your body to survive it. And so it's imperative for people in leadership to be able to feel comfortable in their shoes and delegate. I think a lot of people find that difficult as they move up and get into leadership. They become hesitant with delegation and it becomes a micromanagement situ- situation. You need to allow people in your team to fail. It's hard to do that. It's easier to say it, but it's very hard to actually do that and accomplish that and then help them learn. So to me, it's about inspiration. To me, it's about removing people's roadblocks. There has been weeks where I work 70 hours, especially when I travel. And there are some weeks that I feel like I need to pay attention to my daughter, to my son or to my wife or other family members or my own health. And and I manage that by delegation. There's a great book around how to eat your frogs. I think the the writer's name is Brian Tracy, if I'm not wrong. And that's a great book. And I suggest that to anyone who who finds themselves in a situation where they're constantly battling deadlines and they feel like procrastination is coming into play. Uh, So it's imperative to learn on how to manage your day-to-day. My key metric is to have at least two hours a day work hours without any meetings. And I could use it to just stroll and walk. But to me, those two hours are key to be able to think. I see too many leaders and executives where they spend every five minutes, literally to the dot in a meeting. And I wonder when they have time to think. And so it's imperative to allow yourself. And if you feel you can't afford it, then the delegation isn't there. 
right? And then you need to work on that as a leader. I've learned over the years to have a very alligator type skin and manage my day to day with two kids, by the way, which is a lot harder than what I do as a CRO. Yeah, appreciate the feedback there for sure. And yeah, those are great points. That's an excellent book as well. And yeah, and really important, just having adequate, sufficient time in the day to think about what it is you're doing. You can get so busy being busy that you sacrifice the productivity part of it. Totally understand where you're coming from there. As you were saying all that, a question in my mind popped up. When it comes to delegation, obviously overseeing quite a few people on your team, what are some, yeah. maybe what are some like key characteristics, attributes you look for? I know a lot of sales leaders may struggle in the delegation part because obviously a founder, they're going to know their product best, the direction they want to take it. But I guess I could put it, what's the most effective way to build trust in your team in order to delegate or some key attributes you look for in someone? So that's a great point there. So you touched on a few topics there. Trust is key. I follow the principles of the leadership where it's hands-on, it's individually based. I don't treat the team the same way. Each individual is different. And so in, in the same manner, building trust with each individual is very different. In terms of what I look for in a person is... I never go to them personally and say, I need this done unless it's very urgent by this time. And I have to really have a great uh, reason as to why I'm asking. I always ask, when can you get it done? And that, that to me is an important question. And I look for delivery and performance over time. So if they come back to me and say, I will get it done by this time. And I get the sense over time that they're able to meet their own deadlines that trust in, hey, I can delegate something to person A and person B and rest assured it'll get done. And then you're going to find people that struggle. So they require coaching and perhaps help. And maybe they need check-ins and say, hey, are you doing okay? So each individual is different. What I found over the years is if you put a person in the right seat within the company, whereby they're feeling fulfilled what they do, which means it drives happiness in them doing their work, you really don't have to worry about checking in or so-called managing them. They're going to do more of it because that's how they feel great about their day-to-day -day activities. But to find out what that is and which seat, that is absolutely uh, a difficult task. And that to me is the perfect task function for leadership, right? And, and to me, leadership isn't about managing the team's and doing micromanagement, delegating this and that. It's about how do I put the right people in the right seats so that they can go on their own and deliver even more results. So I'm a big believer in you need to hire smarter people than yourself and let them run with the show. But you got to make sure they're in the right seat. Unfortunately, too often I see people in the wrong seats in different organizations, and then people wonder why that person is struggling. Everyone's got a talent. You need to find it and make use of it. Yeah. Yeah. Those are some good points. And I think, yeah, especially relevant since a lot of our listenership is, like I said, founders, a lot of dynamic, interesting startups that are founder-led that are looking to have that necessary expansion and delegation that would follow as the company builds, roles build, and in the department's scale is in a similar vein. I'm wondering if you could share some of the things, some of the strategies you might implement when it comes to 
keeping morale high. Obviously when the market's hot, sales are booming, everyone is happy. It's easy to have the positivity there, but maybe if there's a slow quarter or a couple quarters or whatever the reason might be, whether it's in, an internal problem or, or an external problem, how do you handle that? And what are some of the best practices you implement to keep morale even keel? That's, that's another great question. And, and I don't know if there is a magic answer to that, especially as we get more financially focused, as capital is drying up, as interest rates and inflation, and honestly, the changes that are happening at macro level, political level, supply chain level, has reached an all-time high. It, it, it has become extremely difficult to come up with the right forecasts, right? And as things change and go below the forecast, how do you keep your teams motivated to continue on? To me, it's that communication, that inspiration that is absolutely key. And at the same time, they need to understand for each teams that they're being measured not on what they do at the instant in that quarter in that year. It's what they do throughout multiple or many years. And that's imperative. I've seen not so great salespeople that get lucky or hit a crazy hot market and get a lot of good deals done or the biggest deal the company has ever seen and get promoted. So of course, what does that tell others? And I've seen fantastic salespeople that come in at the wrong time of the market or the wrong time of the company and under deliver and they get demoted or fired. What does that tell others? So we need to make sure we're promoting people or giving recognition, not based on a static point of view and more of an average view, taking all those into consideration. And that'll put the morale, I think, at ease, right? So a lot of these problems are because we recognize the wrong person for the wrong thing, or we're demoting someone for the wrong reasons or for the wrong macroeconomic level or wrong product, right? And, and if you take those into consideration where you're praising or giving feedback, I think they would be able to handle any challenge that comes their way. Yep. Yeah. Appreciate your insights there as well. And maybe in closing, again, similarly, would be curious to ask about any advice you might have for any aspiring sales leaders. Some of the things that, that you see is, and you've already touched on it more or less in passing, but some of the things you might see is the biggest challenges facing, not just your industry, but maybe sales leaders more broadly in, in the coming years. The biggest challenge in sales leadership, and I would say in leadership in general today, is trust and actually the ability to lead. The new generation is coming and they're not about to sit there and listen to baby boomers or others telling them what to do. That is not going to happen. And so how do you inspire people in your team and how do you build that trust for that inspiration to actually be heard? And that is the biggest challenge. Again, I see too often whereby a great salesperson and, and they're doing an incredible job individually move up the ladder and become leaders without any training and guidance. Being a sales leader or being a leader in general has nothing to do with honestly selling. And so being able to lead a team and inspire them and build those within uh, dynamics of an internal part of a team is quite different than individually running your, your region or a bunch of accounts. And that's where I think is the biggest challenge today is how do 
um, companies figure out how to build that trust back. And it's not like the 60s and 70s where companies used to buy a machine or a tool and differentiate themselves. Those days are long gone. Today, the differentiation is in the people that you have, is in the HR processes and the human resources that you own. And if you don't manage them well, you lose your differentiation. You lose your moat as a company. And, and so you see that a lot in, in corporate America today. And so there's a lot of research done. And I believe with time, people are going to learn that managing isn't going to work anymore. They need to lead. Absolutely. Yeah. Barash, I hope we can reconnect soon. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Thanks so much for the insights, Arash, and appreciate you taking the time to come on the Hypergen Sales Leaders podcast. Hope to touch base with you soon. And again, thank you so much.